But not Stephen. No, we can let him out, okay? That was bad. I didn't say that, though, about Mike. I, you know, I think it was a member of his family that said that. I'm not sure. But, uh, man, God's good. And uh, give it up for the people working the sound booth because we've got to get through this. Yeah. I'll try to give the com computer man a little bit of a head start as we get through this uh, uh, little teaching tonight, okay? Uh, I, don't know there, I don't know if there's any announcements or whatever. Uh, the women have some things coming up, a renewal, awakening, and you need to wake up. Awakening. Awaken me. I've been sitting there for a long time. I've been threatening to have her start punching a time clock, but uh, no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> Awaken me. That's good. That, now, who come up with that title? Which, which one of you ladies come up with that? Did all of you put your heads together and come up with that? Probably Tammy come up with that. Okay. That's great. So anyway, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Huh? You was asleep when that happened. And uh, also... Um, uh, Lydia Ranger, is she going to bring her musicians? Are going to is okay? She's doing music. She's going to be singing, and uh, we haven't seen her for for many years. Uh, you will enjoy her singing. She's got a great voice, and uh, maybe she'll sing my song for you. Uh, she is a recording artist. She has many. I don't know uh, how many albums or tapes or whatever she has, but uh, she'll probably bring a bunch of them. So I'm looking. Uh, that's exciting. Bible study Wednesday. Now, uh, we will probably take some of this and carry it over into our Bible study on Wednesday because in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul says, in the last days perilous times shall come. And he begins to give a lot of things to look for uh, during the last days uh, of the church age. So uh, those of you that involved the Bible study will be, will be talking. We're still in 2 Timothy. I think we're in chapter 3 or 4. So you come on Wednesday and we'll have... Uh, we will be studying that, and we have a handout. I was going to do a PowerPoint tonight, but we're, the, the new version I've loaded on my computer is not compatible with this one. So, um, it's, so I thought I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. It would be a lot easier for you to follow along with what I'm saying uh, if you don't know anything about the Scriptures or time. Now, I want to talk to you about change. Uh, God, is a, God is a change agent. He, he is not, he was not satisfied with us staying the same. Maturity, you know, maturity is something that he looks for and fruitfulness is something that he looks for in his people. So he is a change agent. And, and, and it, the new year is all about change, okay? Uh, I, I, you know, some people look forward to the new year just so they can make a fresh start. Now, we can't do a do-over. There's no, there's no way we can, you know, wouldn't it be neat, I, I was telling Linda on the way to church, wouldn't it be great if you could just roll back the clock? Wouldn't you like to do a do-over? If you had life to do-over, well, you can't do a do-over, okay? But you can make a fresh start. Isn't that good? As long as there is time and as, as long as there is breath, there is hope, okay? So it's always there and we can, we can always have time as long as there's breath and as long as there's you know, time, there, there is hope to make a change. So we can always make a fresh start. And, and God specializes in that. Where we have been is not as important as where God wants to take us. Let me run that back again. Where you have been, I don't care how much you have experienced in your past, it's all, it might be all well and good and great, and I hope it is. 
But where you have been is not as important as where God wants to take you. And so, so your future is what, and, and your today and your future is what God wants to deal with. And our future is going to be determined by the decisions we make today. You're going to reap and I'm going to reap in my, in my tomorrows the decisions that I make on a daily basis. And that's just the way it is. That's the law of the harvest and that's not going to change. So, but we can affect our future. Now, change doesn't just take place without making, without making, planting some change agents. Your, your life and my life is not going to change. Our future is not going to change just because the, we turned the calendar page. You know, I wish that we could just turn, you know, we take November and December off and then all at once that's January. And just because you pull that 30-day page off, I mean, boom, everything is just all well and great and it's going to be, you know, your future is different. But it's not going to change just because you turn the calendar page. There has to be some decisions made and some commitments made behind those decisions. Now, so it's not too late to make a change because we have time and breath. Now, how many knows what that crystal ball is called in Times Square? You know what they, you know what the name of that crystal ball is that falls? How many, how many knows the name of it? Does anybody here at all know? They call that the Star of Hope. And on that ball is written different wishes for the new year. Uh, things that people are hoping for. And so when that ball hopes, it's called the Star of Hope. And as it falls, all of these things have been written on it that people are looking forward to or hoping for this, that the new year is going to bring. Now, I don't know who writes all that stuff on there, and I don't know who, who titled that, that spear or that ball that comes down, but that's what it's called. It's called the Star of Hope. And I'm telling you tonight, we have hope in Jesus. And as long as there is breath and as long as there's time, there is hope uh, that your future can be different than your past. God's greatest blessings are for those who are more concerned about making a life than about making a living. We need to run that by you again because it was a lot better than you gave credit for. God's greatest blessings are for those who are more concerned about making a life than they are about making a living. Now, making a living is important. We all got to do it, but don't make it your most important thing because making a life is more, far more greater value and lasting has more eternal value than making a living because making a living is going to stop when you draw your last breath. You're not going to take it with you unless your wife writes you a check and puts it in your casket. And then you're not going to be able to cash it. So what's going to benefit you in your future? It's going to benefit you because you have built a life, not wealth. Remember now, I want you to notice the numbers that are contained in the calendar year proclaim to me that something, there's something being fulfilled as well as the start of a new era. The year 2000. Eight. Remember, God is a God of order. He is a God of numbers. Psalms 147, if you can pull it up on the screen. He is a God of order. He is a God of, of, of numbers. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? and, he, and he created this thing in an orderly fashion. He, he, he put seasons to rule the year. He put, he put time. He wound this solar system up, put it all into motion. A seven-day week was his creation. He put from out of eternity past all at once, boom. There was, there was injected in eternity and uh, past and, and future. Uh, there was a little thing called time, and he wound it up. And he created the seven-day week. He was a God of order. He was one that created the 24-hour time period of the day. And now notice, he counts the number of the stars. We can't even do that. No telescope bright enough 
No mind can count. I don't think they can count that high. But he counts the number of the stars and he calls them what? Not only does he count them, but he has them all named. Why? Because he's a God of order. He has subjected himself to this thing called time. He works in an orderly fashion. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 tells me that he knows how many sparrows are around. He knows when one falls. He knows when one dies. He goes to the funeral of every sparrow. And not only that, now notice this, verse 30. But the very hairs of your head are what? Now listen, this is getting a little bit harder. This is getting a little bit harder, isn't it? Not only does he have the stars. Now someone said, well, God is not interested in numbers. You don't know the Bible. You don't understand God. God has everything numbered. He has a plan. He just didn't throw this thing out here without a plan. He was the one that wound it all up. He was the one that designed it. It's his, it's his plan. So not only does he have all the stars numbered and named, now he comes along and then everybody, how many billion people on this planet? Now you talk about smoking a computer. You wind it all up and then you keep that computer running with the average hairs that falls out of your head on a daily basis. How many has looked at the shower after you have took a shower besides me? It's not pretty. So hairs are falling out. Some are growing back in. And, 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 and it's, now, on some of your heads, I, could, I, can, I can do it. Wouldn't be hard on some of them. I think I could pin Cedric down and <laughs> probably get close. But, but you take Cedric and you multiply him by about, what, two or three billion people? And then the numbering process gets a little bit more difficult, but not for God. Not only does he have the stars numbered, he has them named, and then he understands when a sparrow falls to the ground. I don't know how many, what million of them are around, but he has a close enough count that he knows which one falls. Then he has the hairs on your head numbered. He is a God of order because he put all of this into the motion. Go to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Not only did he wind it all up, not only did he put all in order, but he submitted himself and subjected himself and his plan to an orderly fashion. Now get this. But when the fullness of the time had come. Now notice this. When the fullness of the time, not a time. There's a difference between a time and the time. You understand it. There was a set time. There was already before the creation of the world. God had a plan. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit got together. They had a plan all mapped out. They had it mapped out to the day that the Son would come. The time had already been appointed that Jesus would be born. It wasn't by happenstance. It didn't take God by surprise. It was, he knew that, who, uh, that Mary was going to be. He had it all planned out. And then when the fullness of time or when the set time came, Jesus came exactly on Time, because why? Because God is a God of order. Now, if it came the first time at that set time, remember what I said this morning. If, did you know he already has another set time for him to come again? It's already set. God the Father knows when Jesus is going to come the second time. So this is part of the Christmas story. God sent for this son, born of a woman, born under the law. No one knows the day or the hour, but we know it's going to happen. 2008, the combining of two important numbers. If you have some paper, you probably need to write these down because the PowerPoint wouldn't work, so I'm just going to put these on you. First, I want to deal with the number 2,000. It's known as measurement of time, measurement of time. Now, listen, for those of you, 
when I get into when I when I really get into studying this stuff, I get I get so involved in it. This book is a supernatural book. If if you can't, I'm telling you, this book is amazing. This book is, is, and I realize that you don't say, well, I don't understand that. I'm telling you, you get into this book, and if you get hooked on this thing, sometimes you can't put it down. And I'm hoping I can, and, and those of you that are going to school, the young people are going to school, and, and your friends say, well, the Bible is inaccurate, and the Bible, you know, is you know, it's out of date, and it, it doesn't relate, and it's not true. And I won't tell you what, this thing is so perfectly put together uh, anybody with any intellectual uh, intelligence at all has to have to put it down that this thing did not begin in the heart of a man. This thing had its beginning in the heart of God. And it's put together in such a, a, a terrific way. Now, I'm not talking to you about a, a, a code, some kind of a code, whatever. I'm just telling you that God is a God of order. He's a God of numbers. And some things just work out. And it is the most amazing thing that, that, you, that you can get into. The number 2,000 is known as a measurement of time. From Adam to Abraham, get this now, was 2,000 years, and it was the dispensation of the Father. It was the dispensation of promise. It lasted 2,000 years. Now, every two, and the reason it's significant is because every 2,000 years, there is a major shift in the way that God deals with, with, with the world and with mankind and, and the nations. So for, for 2,000 years, from Adam to Abraham was a 2,000-year span, and that he dealt with nations, he dealt with the world in general. Uh, during that time, he, he dealt, you know, he couldn't make it with the world, they didn't, wouldn't listen to him, and finally he come down uh, and he dealt with a person. Now he's going to deal with a family, but for 2,000 years, uh, it was known as the dispensation of the Father because God made promises, he cut covenant with men. Then the next 2,000-year period of time started with his son, Isaac. Abraham was the father. Now comes a son, Isaac, the son of promise. And for 2,000 years, it was known as the dispensation of blood. For 2,000 years, it, it, it was the only way that men could be right was it, it took the shedding of blood. It was known as a dispensation of blood. And when that 2,000-year dispensation of time ended, it ended with Calvary. So 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, there was, a, there was a major shift in the way that God did business with, the, with mankind. He, he no longer dealt and made business and dealt with people as a whole or a nation or a world as a whole. He dealt with a family and began to develop a family into a nation. There was a major shift at that time. Then uh, and 2,000 years later, Jesus, of course, went to the cross and, uh, and the dispensation of blood was over on the cross. He said, it is finished. And now for the last 2,000 years that we have lived in this period of history, it has been from Calvary till now. It's called the spirit or the, the uh, dispensation of fruitfulness. It's a dispensation of the church age. We are coming to the end of three specific 2,000-year periods of time. And the, the preceding two times, there was, there was major changes in the way God dealt with people. And I'm persuaded to believe at the end of this 2,000 year, remember what Carl said this morning, that last, this last November, last year, last November, that that one country, because see, we, we, nobody notices and recognizes the same calendar period. And on November 11th of last year, they celebrated their September. September 11th of last year, the, the Allegorian calendar, whatever, which is he, they say is most to be inaccurate, they celebrated uh, the year 2000 are going into the third millennium uh, since Christ's death. Wouldn't it, isn't it amazing? I know from, from history, we can go back to the cross. We know 
basically just about when, when Christ was crucified. And we know we've been at the, we are at the last threshold of this third 2,000 year period of time. And every 2,000 years, God makes a major change in the way that he deals with mankind. And we're standing on the threshold of a major change in the way God deals with the world. Now, notice, let me go on again. 2,000 years, every 2,000 years, there was a naming or a name change process that took place. Well, in the very beginning, he created uh, Adam and Eve, and he named uh, the, the man that he, had, that he had fashioned. And then he gave him the charge of naming all the animals and so on and so forth. 2,000 years later, uh, he, he came to Abram and said, Abraham, or Abram, I'm changing your name to what? Abraham, and Abraham means a father of many nations. Not only did he change Abraham's name, he changed who? His wife's names would change. So every 2,000 years there was a name change or a naming process went on. 2,000 years later, the angel comes. What does the angel say to Mary? You shall call his name, what? You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's been 2,000 years since that naming process, and, we're, we, and we come to the end of that thing. But I want you to understand something. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17, the scripture says that to him who overcomes, I will give to him a what? White stone. And on that stone a what? A new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Who's that promise to? It's to the church. We're standing at the end of another 2,000 year period of time, and there's going to be another name change. You have a, a new name written that no one knows that God's going to give you on that day. Just like he's changed the names of people in the past, there, at the end of this 2,000 year time when Jesus comes back, there's going to be another name change and you're going to be given that name. Every 2,000 years there's been a laying down of a cross which is an instrument of death. 2,000 years after Adam, Isaac carries the wood on his back. God has appeared to Abraham. He said, I want you to offer your son, your only son. And he loads the wood which is to be, which is to make the sacrifice with on the back of his son. Isaac is a type of Christ. Up Mount Moriah they go and they say, and he says to his, he said, I, I see the wood. I, I see the fire and everything that we have, but where's the sacrifice? And of course, Abraham, the, you know, God himself will provide. Isaac was starting to get the idea. I think it's me. Every 2,000 years, there's been a laying down or, or a carrying of a cross. 2,000 years later, up that same mountain, Jesus Christ climbed, and I believe the same mountain that Isaac climbed 2,000 years before. Jesus Christ climbed that same mountain, carrying what? A cross up that cross. Now listen, to, for 2,000 years, there has been a cross involved with the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and what? Take up his what? Cross. There is coming at the end of this 2,000 year time, there's going to be a time that we're going to lay it down. Paul said it this way to Timothy. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord is going to get. And not to me only, 
but to all of them who love his appearing. At the appearing of Jesus Christ, we're going to be able at that point to lay down the cross that we carry. Everybody that's following Christ, you're going to have to carry a cross. You're going to deny yourself and pick up a cross because a cross is involved in following Christ. Every 2,000 years, there's been a laying down of the cross. Now notice, every 2,000 years, there's been a special star. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and he made a greater light to rule the day. And he made a lesser light to rule the night. 2,000 years later, on the backside of the desert, he speaks to Abraham. And he said, I want you to go outside your tent and look at the what? Stars. And he said, so shall your seed be. In Exodus chapter 32, men were given skill and wisdom and understanding of how to make things. And from that one, the star became a sign of covenant between God and his people in the second 2,000 years period of time. The star literally later on became known as the star of David. It was, it was, in, it was engraved on the shield that David carried. Some people said it was engraved upon the face of the Ark of the Covenant. I don't, I don't know if it was or not. Balaam, when he was prophesying against Israel, said, there shall come a star out of Jacob, or there will be a star arise out of Israel. And that star became known. In fact, today, the star of Israel, the star of David, is unique against other nations. But every 2,000 years, there was a star that was recorded in Scripture. And then, of course, 2,000 years later, the wise men came and said, where is he? that is born king of the Jews. And how did they know a king had been born? Because we have seen his star 2,000 years later. According to the scripture, we stand on the threshold of another star arising. In Revelation, it, it, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16, and Jesus speaking of himself said, I am the root and the offspring of David what? The bright and what? Morning star. Three specific 2,000 year periods of time. One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. Now we know from history that the first two periods of time was pretty close to that time element. We can, we, we can know by genealogies and going and we can count from the Bible. If, if the dispensation from Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years and the dispensation from Abraham to Christ was 2,000 years, what makes us think that the Holy Spirit is going to get more time than the other two people of the Godhead? What makes us think that this one's going to go on 2,500 years or 3,000 years? There was, because in history we can go back and count almost to the, the number of days that the others, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We stand on the threshold. It's a great time to be serving God because the numbers that is wrapped up in the date that we are living in suggest that God is going to make some, some changes, major changes in the way that he deals with people. Now notice the number eight. You need to write some of these things down. We'll get involved in it. The number eight is seven plus one. Seven stands for completeness or perfection. Seven stands for the end of a cycle or, or the completion of a cycle. There are seven days in a week bringing to the end that cycle of the week. 
The number eight is especially associated with the beginning of a new era or a new order. Eight represents regeneration or the new birth and resurrection. In Genesis chapter 5, the eighth son from Adam was Enoch. Now what happened to Enoch? Anybody know what happens to him? He walked and talked with God. And some of you Bible students tell me what happened to him. And he what? He... He, walk, he was walking and talking with God, and one day he just disappeared, didn't he? He was the eighth, which the number eight stands for resurrection, stands for new beginnings, stands for regeneration. So he was the eighth. From, was that just a coincidence that it was the eighth, or was, or was somebody trying to show us something or tell us something? In the sixth chapter of Genesis, God wipes out the world with a flood, and it begins over with how many people? Eight people is in the ark. So he starts over. You know, he, he's going to do a do-over. But he starts with the number eight. Why was it the number eight? Why couldn't it have been nine? Why couldn't it have been ten? How couldn't he have started over with 15? Why? Because he is a God of numbers and he keeps this, the, the numbering system pure. And so he starts over with eight people. Circumcision, was, a, which is a sign of the new birth, it was always done on what? The eighth day from birth. You say, well, that's when, you can say, well, that's when, uh, you know, pain tolerance is low or whatever. No, there is something going on here. Circumcision is a sign of the new birth. There's a sign that something, you know, and spiritually it talks about, and in, in, in the New Testament talked about circumcision of the heart. Uh, when someone is, is born again, you circumcise the foreskin of your heart because you make that covenant or commitment to God. But I want you to understand, it, it was done always in the natural on the eighth day. Abraham had seven sons born after the flesh. One was born by promise. Isaac was born by promise. The eighth son uh, started a new beginning and carried on the plan of God. The eighth note of, of a musical scale, be, uh, there's eight notes, and the, the first note in this eighth note is the same, but the eighth note begins a new octave. Now, how many? Now, how many knows what I'm talking about? Now, here we'll do it this way. Everybody, everybody, go with me. Do re mi fa sol la ti do re. You know, the eighth note. The, so the eighth and the first one are the same, but the eighth one starts a new scale or a new octave. Eight. Why did it? Why couldn't it be just six? Why did? Why couldn't it have been nine? Because eight is a number of new beginnings. It's, it's a number of resurrection. It's a number that has, it's, it's associated with a new era, a new order of things. Now, I want you to notice, put, put Ezra chapter 3 uh, on the screen in verse 6. Now, Carl, Carl um, I was sitting here, and, and I want you to start noticing things in Scripture, but do you notice anything here about this? Now, this is one of the, the Scriptures that he used this morning. Okay? Now, do you see anything about that? When you read scripture, sometimes, you, you know, here's where, from the first day of the seventh month, what is one and seven? And then what did they do? What? Isn't that strange? Eight is a number of new beginnings. Eight is, eight is a number of starting a new order or something new. And on the first day of the seventh month, they began. They began to, to do it again. They began a new order. They began to build. Do you see how it all kind of sometimes jumps out at you and you think, well, was that just a coincidence? Was that just something that just happened? Just something they put in the Bible because they didn't have nothing else to write in there? 
No, I think he's trying to tell us something. Now, go to 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll, we'll do some things. This I'm wrapping this thing up, all right? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. Elijah performed, how many, how many miracles did Elijah perform in his ministry? Come on, you Bible students. How many notes? How many do you think? How many miracles do you think Elijah performed? Eight of them. Was that a guess? Yep, was, wasn't it? Check this out now. <laughs> this is his eighth and last miracle, and, and it begins to describe it on what verse? <laughs> Coincidence. Now, even the translators of the Bible, sometimes they, they got involved in the process and probably didn't know it themselves. But he did eight miracles. Now, put that back up there. Hopefully, we didn't lose it because I want, I want you to see this. <clears throat> now, Elijah took his mantle. Now, who, now, who's following Elijah? Okay, okay, get this. Now, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elijah, Ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. Elijah said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with the horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now hold that verse right there. Now it was his eighth miracle. And right after his eighth miracle, what happened to him? 2008. God's going to change the way he deals. And could it very well be that resurrection? Because that's what that is a type of. There are two of them walking along. Get this. It's a picture of what? Rapture of the church. Two of them's walking along. Boom. One of them's gone. And it just coincidentally is right after his eighth and final miracle. Now, what did, what did Elisha ask him? All right, now let me ask you this. How many miracles do you think Elisha performed in his ministry? Which is two times eight. How many knows what Elijah's last miracle was? Oh, what? The dead boy did what? His 16th miracle was after he was dead. His bones was in the ground. There's some people come to bury him, and so they saw some raiders coming, didn't have time to cover him up. They dropped him off. They was, didn't even put him in. They just found a hole. Threw the guy down in there. He hid Elijah's bones and was resurrected. The eighth miracle of Elijah. Gone. Sixteenth miracle, which is two times eight of Elijah. Somebody is thrown on his bones and there's still enough power in his bones to bring him back to life. Isn't that awesome? Eight is the number of new beginnings. The beginning of a new order, our new era. It's, it's, it's the beginning of something fresh and new. 2008 can be a beginning and will be a beginning for all of us. It'll be a, a new beginning for our nation, new leadership for our nation. 
It will be a new beginning, a new way that God deals with the church. I think there's going to be some drastic changes in the way that God deals with the church. I want to give you this in closing. Before every new year comes a midnight. And you have to deal with your midnight before you deal and experience your new year. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Before every new year comes a midnight. We're going to have to deal with our midnight. Boy, don't we know this. New year brought a, a midnight. But you got to deal with it. To get on to the place where God's going to take you. You deal with your midnight and you're going into your new year. Your new order where God is taking you. Where you've been is not as important as where God wants to take you this year. Okay? You can't change yesterday. You can't do over. You can just go forward, but you can do start doing things different in your future. Amen? Every head bowed. Father, in the name of Jesus, appreciate all these folks that are here tonight. Appreciate, God, the, their time, their energy, and their faithfulness to, to you and the church. And I'm praying for all of the folks. God, may we get so charged up about your word and about may we become so charged with the, the awareness of how soon your return is and, how, and, and how the, the changes that possibly are going to be taking place this year, not only in our life, but in the life of the church, the life of our communities, life, the way of the, the world, the way God is dealing with the world and the church. God, may we, we live on, uh, just uh, er, let every day be a fresh new adventure for all of the folks that are here tonight. And may, may, may winning the lost, may winning the lost to you be the number one priority of our life. May we not be so consumed upon ourselves. And I realize that we're making a living and working, and I'm not discounting that, but God, may we, may we not be so caught up in that that we forget our first purpose. That is to be soul winners, bringing people to you. That is my prayer for this church. So in 2008, we'll deal with our midnights and we'll go on into the future knowing that God, you're going to do something great. You're going to take us because it's important where you're taking us, not where we've been. May that be impressed upon our heart tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it. And everyone said, amen. God